Well, hey everyone, welcome back to Spot On, a special needs podcast where we are putting spotlight on all things special needs and disability related. And then in this episode, we had the privilege to talk with Ron Sanderson. Ron is a speaker, an author, a teacher, and an advocate for people within the disability community. Ron himself was diagnosed with autism as a child and has gone on to do some pretty incredible things as you'll hear in this episode. This will be a two-part conversation with Ron as we look to learn more about his life and how we can best support people within the autism community. So without further ado, here's Ron. Well, hey, Ron, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks so much for having me on. In the background, you can see my daughter's artwork. She just turned seven, March 20th, and she's a great artist, so I like having her artwork in the background. Nice, nice. Yeah, I see. Those are some pretty awesome colors there. I love that. Um, Yeah, Ron, so we just wanted to jump right in today um, and just ask you some questions just about your life, about your upbringing, and um, a bunch of different stuff like that. So uh, the first question that we have here is uh, just to just to learn about your upbringing. And um, we mentioned before that uh, you have an autism diagnosis. So um, we just wanted to learn about that, uh, how that came about. And um, yeah, so if you could just elaborate on that a little bit. So when I was diagnosed with autism in 1982, it was one in every 10,000. Now it's one in every 36. Last week is when the CDC just changed the numbers. And my development began normal. I said my first word, mommy. And what I like to share is I said my first word, mommy, the day I was being water baptized. And any child who thinks they're being drowned is going to call out mommy, mommy. Then I went through a time of regression where I went from being able to say mommy to only mom, mom. And I went from having perfect eye contact to zero eye contact. And 25% of all children with autism go through a regression time as I went through. My mom knew there was something drastically different between my brother Chuck and older brother Steve. So she took me to a pediatrician. The pediatrist said men are like fine wine. You got to give them time. Women are like flowers. They blossom quickly. And that's mm-hmm. good advice for a woman who's dating, but that's the worst advice for someone on the autism spectrum because the earlier therapy, the quicker they're going to develop those milestones and develop those skills. So my mom immediately got me an intense speech therapy, as intense speech therapy, all the way from age two to age 16. When I was seven, my development in speech was so delayed. My brother Chuck would introduce me to people saying, you need to meet my brother Ron. I think he's from Norway. And in 1982, when I was seven years old, this kindergarten teachers wanted to label me emotionally impaired. My mom said it's not emotional but neurological. She took me to Henry Ford Hospital and I was diagnosed with autism. And when I got the diagnosis in, there were little resources. The only resource they had or book was a fortress mom about a mom who was a refrigerator and had a little emotion saying that caused autism. My mom knew that autism was neurological and it wasn't caused by that, but genetically and other environmentals. So she immediately started working with me using art and she quit her job as an art teacher, became a full-time Ron teacher. Mm. In 1982, this school specialist said, if your son has autism, he'll never read beyond the seventh grade level, never attend college, never have meaningful relationships, never excel in sports. And with my mom's help and my dad's help, I was able to graduate from college or master divinity 
from Oral Roberts University, perfect wow. four-point grade point average. I got married December 7th in 2012, so it's been over a decade I've been married, and I got married on the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, and having autism, I came in like a kamikaze, whirlwind <laughs> of fire. And March 20th, my daughter turned seven years old, and I have three traditionally published books on autism, and I wrote a fourth book that is going to be published hopefully soon, and I've been all over the world from Madagascar, I've spoken live to Israel. Wow. Ron, that is a uh, that is a packed story, and uh, man, we're just really grateful uh, that you're with us here, and um, just really grateful that you were able to share that with us. One thing that I noticed um, when you were just explaining your story is uh, just the um, how your your mom and uh, your family really came alongside you during that time, and um, didn't use that autism diagnosis necessarily to feel feel sorry for you to feel bad for you but to really advocate for you and to give you um the tools that you needed uh, in order to succeed in life so could you just elaborate a little more about that about how your family advocated for you yeah so my parents had two approaches my mom's approach was to work with me educate me help me learn and um she had this saying, advocate, 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 and then your child will be an advocate when he's older. My dad's approach was more the Second Thessalonians 3.10 approach. If man will not work, he shall not eat. And his approach was you throw him in the deep end, you help him swim and learn how to swim. And by having employment, by doing work, those skills will come from exposure to different situation and both of those are needed and i've noticed two things about every successful person on the autism spectrum and there's two main things number one they had someone who believed in them with me mm -hmm. it was my mom my dad my older brothers and number two is there's someone who markets them they see this unique gift that that person with autism has or the way they can transform their world and then they market that gift and help them be successful. And most people who are successful in the business world also have those two traits. They know their strengths. They know their limitations. They use their strengths to adapt or accommodate for their limitations. And they become successful because they use marketing of their strength. But with us on the spectrum, we have a very difficult time connecting with people, which makes marketing our gifts difficult because we don't always know how to express our gifts or use our gifts in a way that um, we're able to build connections. Yeah. 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 You mentioned, um, you mentioned the word connection there and how um, uh, people with autism, uh, that can be something that uh, does not come easy for them. Um, and you talked a lot about your school years um, when you were talking about your story. Uh, how was that uh, during high school and middle school and stuff like that, um, just engaging with people? And were there any um, struggles or any um, any wins that you had uh, throughout high school that, um, yeah, if you could just elaborate on that a little bit. So in middle school, I experienced severe bullying. Mm. Um, people saw that I acted different. They knew that if they punched the right buttons, 
it could cause me to have a meltdown. So I was a number one show in the school. I remember my freshman year high school when I ran on the track team, I was one of the faster runners and um, a kid stole a tarantula at a track meet and put it in a Ziploc bag. And another kid on the track team dared me to take a shot, put and brew up some tarantula stew. And I wasn't going to do it. And then they double dog dared me. When the double dog dare came, I stewed, made some tarantula stew with the shot put. And the kid who stole the tarantula ended up giving me a black eye. It was in like that Batman TV show in the 1970s. Bam. And then boom, I had a black eye. And I experienced mm -hmm. um, bullying because I had sensory issues. Also, I didn't understand social skills if someone dared me to do something say something i'd usually say it not having that filtering ability and then my junior year of high school i was one of the fastest runners in track for the 800 meter and also for the 3200 meter relay my junior year we made it to state finals and finished 12th in the state of michigan out of 182 teams and on the way back Nate Clay, our anchor on our team, who'd end up winning the Big Ten a few years later in college for the mile and running under a four-minute mile, said next year we'll be the fastest relay team in the state of Michigan, but we won't have Ron on our relay team because we'll be he'll be past the age limit. You see, in kindergarten, I was held back due to autism, and in the 1995, when I ran track, they had an AIDS limit for high school athletes. Mm. And Right then, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I'm going to provide a way for you to be on the track team. My mom called every lawyer in Michigan. They all said it'd be over $40,000. And my parents said, Psalms 25.3 says, um, no one who's hoping you will ever be put to shame. They said, we need to trust God, give him the God's hand, and he'll provide a way for you to run on the track team. So yeah. I entrusted my track season to God. And um, I came back from a five-mile run about a week before the track season was going to begin. And the Michigan High School Athletic Association, I already told my parents they wouldn't let me run on the track team. In fact, they said it'd be a cold day in H-E-L-L-L before they'd let me compete. And it gets cold in Michigan, but not that yeah. cold. Yeah. And um, when I got home from that five-mile run, there on the front page, Detroit Free Press, is a young man named Craig Stanley. He was born May 1975, same month, same year. He's a track and cross-country runner. Mm -hmm. And they told his parents that they wouldn't let him compete on the track team, even though he had a disability that caused him to be held back. We got together on a Monday night. And my mom said, let's contact Detroit News and have them put Craig and you on the front page saying that now two people's civil rights are being violated. That Wednesday, Craig Stanley's picture was on the front page of the Detroit Free Press with me. And then that Sunday, I was getting water baptized to show my commitment to following Christ. And when I came out of the water at wow. 9 a.m., pastor looked at me and said, I saw something in, in the heavenlies when you came out. Joel 2.25, I repay the years of the oaks, the, the great locust, the young locust, the other locust, great locust storm, the great army sent among you. You said there's an army that ate away from your life, and God's now repaying it, and you're going to have a message you're going to take to the nations. And when I got home, the answering machine was blinking red, and when I pressed the button, up came time of the message, and it was 9 a.m., and it was a young lawyer named Rick Landle, and he began this way. Hi, my name's Rick Landle. 
I have my PhD from Boston College, my law degree from the University of Michigan, and I want to take your case pro bono. All I need is your signature. So when God has an assignment for you, he has people who's armed and dangerous, ready, waiting for you to carry out that assignment. We signed on. We end up running the second fastest time in the state of Michigan. I got full ride for track and cross country. I went on after my first year of college to get a good um, academic scholarship. And as the story says, the rest is history. But the, God's history is his story. So what he does is when he blesses us with something like running, he uses it to be a blessing. Later on, now in Michigan, kids with autism, kids with disabilities are able to compete because of the Sanderson versus the MHSAA case. A young man, Anthony Sturgelli in New Jersey, he was able to compete in New Jersey because of the Sanderson versus the MHSAA. And God uses our um, trials and tests for not only testimony, but also to include more people in his kingdom and his purposes. Amen. Wow. That is a that is an incredible story. And I love what you said at the end there that God uses um, uh, to paraphrase God uses broken situations to make um, to make better situations in the long run. And um, that is so true. And uh, it's really cool how you were able, God has put gifts and talents in your life um, that you've been able to use to make a, an impact on um, not just the disability community, but really um, uh, just our culture in general um, in Michigan and in, in the greater culture at large. Um, and we'd love to talk about that a little bit, maybe about what are you um, doing now? I know you mentioned that um, you had went to Oral Roberts University after you graduated high school and uh, received a Master's of Divinity from there. Um, so what are you doing now with the gifts and talents that God has blessed you with um, to make an impact um, on the world around you? So March Mark my 15 years working at Havenwick Hospital. I've been there now 15 years working as a psychiatric care specialist. Mm. And I've come up with my whole mental health program. I lead groups on mental health. And I'm currently writing my fifth book on mental health. And it's going to um, be on purpose-driven mental health, taking control of your mental health using the five foundations. One of the foundations of mental health is realizing that God has a purpose for you, a plan for you, and that brings hope. A lot of times people who... Um, have mental health issues they develop a hopeless complex yeah and one of the things i've been doing too is i've been a professor of theology now going on 20 years at destiny ministry school and i have my lessons online if you go to my youtube all my lessons from the different years i've taught there are online and people can see them for free and i speak and travel at over 70 events a year on autism mostly local, but I, this year I've already spoken in Georgia. I'm going to be speaking in Cleveland, March or April 29th at a conference. And, um, I travel quite a bit and then work full time and write books. I have three traditionally published books already, which I'll talk about more in part two of this. So really keeping busy. And I'm also, 
uh, dad, and that takes up a lot of time. And mm. always researching on the next thing, topic that I'm writing on. And I do interview famous people too. I just interviewed one of the participants on Love in the Spectrum and wrote their article in my Art of Autism bog, which wow. um, I'm one of the people who bog for their one their featured um, offers on the site and it has over 40,000 um, likes, friends on um, Facebook, people who follow it. And I write for Autism Parenting Magazine, which is a main um, magazine for autism articles. They're going to have my Love on the Spectrum article in there. Man, man, Ron, this is this is incredible to just hear uh, just a part of your story. And uh, just for our listeners, uh, Ron mentioned this already, but this is actually going to be a two-part podcast uh, just because we are just so uh, encouraged by Ron's story and just the amazing things that he's doing. I know personally, um, I had a chance to go to that conference in Georgia that you were at. And um, during that second uh, keynote presentation, uh, you were on stage with a, with a few other people. And um, I was just really blessed by that conversation and just the way that um, we can include people with disabilities in the church and as well as how we can advocate for them in the communities. Um, yeah, that really that really spoke to me in a really profound way. So, um, yeah, thanks for all that you do. Um, and yeah, like I said, this is going to be a two part conversation. So, um, yeah, we'll see you guys uh, next week here on Spot On, a special needs podcast. See you guys later.